Hello, and welcome to this ASCO Journal of Oncology Practice podcast. This is Dr. Bob Miller. I'm a medical oncologist at the Sydney Kimmel Comprehensive Cancer Center at Johns Hopkins and a member of the JOP editorial board. My guest for this podcast is Dr. John Keach, who is a medical oncologist in community practice at the Auburn Regional Cancer Center in the Puget Sound region of Washington, south of Seattle. Dr. Keach recently wrote an article in the September 2010 issue of JOP entitled, The Dinosaur is Extinct, the Demise of Solo Medical Oncology Practice in the United States. This was a follow-up to an article he had written for JOP in July 2005, which was one of the very first issues of the journal, about his experiences in solo practice in Northern California. Dr. Keach and I have known each other for over 10 years since we both served as board members for the Association of Northern California Oncologists, or ANCO. I'm grateful to him for agreeing to share his powerful and very personal story of the changes he faced in his career on tonight's podcast. Jack, thank you very much for taking the time to join me this evening. My pleasure, Bob. So your September 2010 article uh, chronicles the changes that you faced as you were forced to transition from what sounds like a satisfying and successful solo practice in the small city of Chico, California, to an integrated group practice in Washington. But why don't you start at the beginning? Um, Why solo practice in the first place, and how did you end up in Chico, California? So I did my postdoctoral training in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, a very dear friend of mine, a resident classmate, um, came out to USC to do his uh, fellowship in pulmonary medicine. And he was recruited to the hospital in Chico when he finished as they were starting to build their open heart and trauma program and needed a pulmonologist. So that was kind of the Chico connection that went back to the early 1980s. And we'd been there and visited any number of times. After I finished my fellowship at Pennsylvania Hospital, um, I joined what became a three-physician oncology practice in South Jersey um, and Philadelphia. And we had a very successful practice there for 10 years. And I kind of had an early midlife crisis when I reached 40, mm-hmm. and um, the relationship with the partners was not ideal, and I just sort of had wanderlust. And I became aware through our uh, friendship in Chico that there was an urgent need for a medical oncologist to uh, join what was then kind of a failing general medical group. And so we came out and take a look, took a look around, and um, it seemed like uh, an interesting challenge, and the time was right for us to make a change in our lives. And so... That's how we landed there. There was in town a medical oncologist and hematologist who were basically uh, in a hospital-oriented practice, meaning that they elected to send all of their infusion work to the hospital clinic. Um, By 1990, my wife, who became our business manager, and I decided that we understood the business of oncology and wanted to start um, our own um, complete service practice, including infusion therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, since there was a need for another oncologist that was not really a competitive environment, we agreed to come to town and set up shop uh, on our own. And we had a very collegial um, relationship with the other group and uh, built what became an incredibly successful practice uh, over the course of the next 17 years. So where, where is Chico again for everybody else? Ch- yeah, Chico is 90 miles north of Sacramento on the I-99, I-5 coroner. Carter. Uh, It is a city of about 100,000. The medical service area comprises about a quarter million people uh, with draw areas from um, the coast to the west and the Sierra Mountains to the the east. I see. So in your original article in 2005, you uh, talk about 
a number of efficiencies and sort of best practices that uh, you did when you were in Chico, things like cross-training your staff and controlling inventory tightly and weekly meetings about coding. And, you know, were those things sort of mandatory to be able to manage a practice by yourself? Or how did you get the discipline to do that sort of thing? Well, I've always been a very type A personality, and so is my wife. So we're very complimentary in that regard. And my wife has been a consummate business manager in medical oncology and medicine in general. So it kind of came pretty easily to us. Um, as you know, and we'll speak about in a little while, I think, I became engaged in uh, oncology politics and oncoeconomics pretty much at the get-go. So mm -hmm. I acquired an understanding of uh, what it is to manage the business of a complex an expensive medical oncology practice. And I think, I think there's an advantage of scale, of smallness actually in solo practice in that uh, it allows one to just very tightly manage uh, even the minutia that uh, if left unchecked can become um, significant uh, um, cost centers to a practice. So uh -huh. um, I don't think there was any one sentinel event. It just kind of happened, uh, uh, it sort of evolved naturally. So you, along those lines, you, tell me more about that. You said you've you said in what you wrote originally that you thought oncologists really needed to be engaged advocates, and like you said, you were um, you were chair of the ASCO Clinical Practice Committee, and and you were involved in ANCO and the Medicare CAC and various other things. And and I, I think you'd even mentioned that you had uh, developed something of a relationship with your local uh, representative in the House of Representatives who visited your practice. But how, how do you think those things contributed to the success of your practice? Was it because you, you did those things that you were able to survive in solo practice and maybe a person that didn't have quite that breadth of experience might have been, uh, might have find it, found it a little more difficult, do you think? Well, I think there's no question about it. I mean, there, there's no model in medical practice more expensive than medical oncology. I'm not aware of any other um, medical or surgical specialty where the capital expense is as extraordinary as it is in medical oncology. I mean, we're dealing, um, even back in the day, we're million dollars of expenses of drugs per oncologist per year. Now it's two, two and a half times that. Mm -hmm. It's your money. It's the doctor's money. And if the physician is not willing to engage in top-down management um, of that um, capital expense and revenue stream, um, and something goes awry, it's the doctor's loss. Um, sure. And I just um, uh, felt very strongly that I had to uh, remain very engaged. And so each one of those endeavors that I participated in just uh, expanded my knowledge and experience base uh, and uh, made me more aware of what it was that I had to do to um, continue to serve our patients. So you didn't really find them distracting. They were helpful to the business, the practice. Well, they were distracting only in the sense that the, that the engagement in the CPC and as ANCO president and so forth just took time away from the practice. But uh, we accommodated that. I had an excellent team of, of, of oncology nurses. I had excellent coverage from my colleagues who really were not competitors, um, as I mentioned. And so uh, we made it happen. Uh, mm -hmm. It was distracting um, um, only in the context that it took time away from practice, and that was time that I couldn't spend uh, on vacation, for example. Right, right. So then 2003, and the Medicare Modernization Act, or MMA, and you, you say in your article how this was a sentinel event. So tell me, tell me about MMA and how it affected you. Well, you remember the intensive lobbying effort that, that we all uh, put forth uh, from those of us in ASCO and our colleagues in COA and other uh, similar organizations. We, we told Congress we knew what, what the devastating effects of the ultimate um, um, uh, 
uh, MMA uh, changes would uh, would entail, and nobody listened or nobody cared to listen. Um, we lived under a flawed system of reimbursement for chemotherapy drugs uh, for 15 years prior to that, but that system, uh, which gave us a margin of, what, 12 to 15 percent on the drugs, kept us whole. Mm -hmm. That gave us enough of an income cushion that we could afford to treat uh, underinsured patients, that we could make our overhead expenses, um, continue to make a decent living, and we knew that that was just going to go upside down. Little did we know how upside down it was going to go. Um, we had the demonstration projects that uh, helped um, subsidize our uh, loss in revenue from the drugs for a couple or three years, but by the end of 2007, by early 2008, the full effects of MMA were realized. Mm -hmm. um, the profit on the drug margin uh, was now down to 1% to 2%, if even that, and on any given quarter, probably a third to 40% of drugs were actually underwater as they remain today. Um, at the same time, as that reimbursement stream um, changed drastically, um, inflation was still going on, overhead expenses went up. Um, in my personal circumstance, our community hospital um, uh, underwent a period of four years of administrative disarray. Mm. Um, there was a vote of no confidence by the medical staff against the administration over a contractual issue with surgery and anesthesia, and so we literally had four administrations in four years. Uh, in a community hospital that was a standalone and was struggling to survive without having been taken over by a Sutter or UC Davis or a Catholic Healthcare West or uh, what have you. And so the hospital was in no position to help struggling practices, mine or anyone else in the town for that matter. I see. The nurses unionized, um, and so in order to garner and maintain high-quality oncology nurses, which I always got from the hospital pool, uh, we had to pay um, uh, union wages and benefits, and so that um, that happened in 2007, 2008. So that over expense skyrocketed. Um, we had been thinking about an associate in. And in fact, we did that for a short while until it was apparent that that wasn't going to work, and, and he was more interested in an employed position than uh, developing a private practice model. So at the same time, the MMA effects were happening and the increased costs were happening, we actually incurred further costs looking to the future um, in terms of expanding our office space, uh, modernizing our computer and billing system and so forth. Um, uh, as revenue became tighter, my wife and I ended up um, uh, borrowing money from our portfolio to um, uh, use for practice development thinking that we had a strong portfolio and strong economy prior to 2008 and could pay ourselves back shortly. And then the Great Recession came and that all went to pot and we lost a huge amount of um, um, income from our uh, portfolio and uh, became increasingly pot uh, difficult, if not impossible, uh, to obtain practice lines of credit to keep the business going. And the, the, the I described it in the article as 2008 as being the perfect storm economically for for my practice uh-huh so did when these things started happening again that's a very, very sad story to hear it, it did what was the reaction of the community i mean you, you'd been there for many years i'm sure you were a fixture you were a respected clinician um did did other were other physicians aware of this and did, did you said the hospital couldn't help you but were there other medical groups in any position to offer assistance or was it just sort of commiseration and so it, so you know, it was commiseration and so be it, and, and nobody except us appreciates the financial burden of being in private practice of oncology. 
I mean, I, I would talk to anybody who would listen, but, but I don't think anybody to this day, or maybe when I actually left they did, I don't think anybody really believed that things were as bad as I, I said they were. Uh-huh. Now, as you know, everybody's practice um, uh, took a hit in the last few years, um, but, but none of them were as affected as ours was because of the extraordinary capital expense of remaining in business um, uh, in, in medical oncology. And so I don't, I don't think, I think they thought I was crying wolf. I, they just didn't believe that this was going to happen. Um, we actually, two years before we decided we had to close the practice and leave, we started having dialogue, but I mean, ended up having dialogue with one administrator, and then that person left, and then an interim administrator came, and then that person left, and so after a while, it just became kind of a waste of time. Um, uh, meanwhile, we obviously loved our patients and loved our home and friends and just didn't want to believe that we couldn't continue to make this go. Um, did did do you share any of this with patients? Were they aware of what was going on? Yeah, they were. I was very open with patients. I'm very close with my patients. And in a small town like that, uh, actually, uh, as difficult as it is, we were social friends with many of our patients. So, so tell me what you did next. So by the time um, January and February of 2009 came by, we really were looking at the numbers um, in a frightening fashion and just realized this wasn't going to happen anymore. Uh, we couldn't make this go. Uh, if we had kept this going through 2009, there's no question that we would have uh, been bankrupt. Uh, and we had no choice but to make a decision to close the practice uh, and move on. Um, we had substantial equity in our property. Um, uh, and so uh, we knew that if we sold our home, we could help to pay off some practice debt. Uh, and help to move, help ourselves to move forward. So, uh, we quietly um, started a search for uh, relocation, and I was looking at various options uh, to join either a large um, uh, group elsewhere in the country, or to leave oncology altogether and perhaps go to work for pharma, uh, or become an employed physician uh, in a hospital-based model. We looked at all of those, and we looked at all of those in a very um, uh, uh, efficient, I wouldn't say rushed fashion, but a very efficient fashion. We gathered a great deal of data. We had extraordinary help from a lot of people. Uh, there are some excellent recruiting firms around the country who I think are very uh, um, honest and forthright, and we learned a lot in a f- fairly short time. And by March of 2009, um, I had pretty much decided that I wanted to stay in practice, and my primary interest was in joining, joining a large group. And so we had several uh, wonderful offers. We had several site visits all across the country. Um, and I was uh, actually um, very close to uh, joining a practice in Texas when I got a call from our primary recruiter um, telling us about the position that I'm now in, um, asking us to come up to Puget Sound and take a look around. Um, before I get into that, I will tell you that we kept this very quiet. We, our staff, uh-huh. Um, our patients, our friends, uh, at this point, did not know that we'd made a firm decision that we were closing and leaving. Uh, we felt that we had to stage that discussion um, in a very um, um, stylized way so as to avoid chaos. Uh, but my wife and I made that decision unequivocally by early March of, of 2009. In the meantime, we just kept the practice going as, as best we could. So your staff wasn't aware till sort of the the last minutes. That's what you're saying. <clears throat> they were not aware until we moved in June, until I accept the position with Capital Oncology in Puget Sound. Uh, we decided that we weren't going to make a formal announcement to anyone, including our closest friends, 
until after I had a contract in hand. I see. That makes sense. So when you made the decision, you, you must have sent a letter to patients. or t- Tell me, how did you let patients know? We did. So, so we made the decision. We, we came and looked at this practice, uh, analyzed it carefully, decided um, it was the right fit for a whole variety of reasons. Contracts were signed. A starting date was set. Um, and we set a date to close the practice. Um, I believe it was late July. And uh, we had a great deal of help, actually, from our uh, insurance carrier, NorCal. Uh, NorCal is an outstanding um, uh, mutual um, uh, indemnity insurance company. And as as you know, I think you were a NorCal member when you were in California. And they helped us a lot. They have a whole division, actually, that that helps doctors close practices for a variety of reasons and and do it uh, in in the proper way. So the minimum notice that they recommended for an oncology practice was uh, uh, 30 days. We gave 60 days notice. Um, And so... Uh, we um, uh, called together a meeting with the hospital administration, who, by the way, um, the interim, the last interim administration that went into place in the spring of 2009 became the permanent administration, which is there still um, today. Uh. Um, and uh, so we called a meeting with them and with our physician colleagues, and it was a Friday morning. I remember it very clearly and announced that we were um, closing and leaving. Um, and we had an office staff meeting scheduled for an hour after that, and we uh, then went over and announced to our staff that we were leaving, gave them the timeline, and we'd already prepared um, letters to go to the patients, which uh, were mailed um, that Friday afternoon. Um, and then we started discussions, obviously, uh, during office hours the following Monday about uh, the planned departure. What did the What did the hospital say? Were they surprised? It was. They were. They were surprised. I mean. Uh, now, these administrators uh, we had had dialogue with earlier in 2009, um, and I believe my exact words were that the cancer program in Chico was in imminent disarray and it required their immediate attention. Um, and we were kind of met with, uh, well, we have a lot in our plate and we'll get back to you. I see. Um, <laughs> they, were, they were shocked, and at that fateful meeting, um, uh, they said, what can we do? And I said, what, what about the words immediate jeopardy did you not understand three yeah. months ago um, <laughs> sure. um, there was nothing they could do i see so tell me a little bit about your current situation you're in uh, a, a larger practice obviously and it sounds like there's several different sites of service and you're in uh, is it auburn washington yeah i'm in auburn washington which is about 15 miles south of seattle um auburn um uh, is a city uh, about the size of Chico, about eighty to 100,000 people, um, in a population valley of close to 300,000. Um, there, uh, there are a lot of oncology service uh, providers in this area. Puget Sound is rather competitive, if you want to call it that. But there is a niche in Auburn in that there is a regional uh, hospital here which did not have a comprehensive cancer center. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've never been to Puget Sound, you have to understand that the geography here is defined by volcanic ridges and valleys, <laughs> and um, uh, it is a gridlocked area. There are a whole lot of people and not enough roads, and um, to drive 10 miles from Auburn to Tacoma or 25 miles from Auburn to Seattle can take hours if you don't get the timing right on the freeways. And so uh, there are geographic, well-defined niches wherein um, comprehensive medical services and various surgical and medical specialties um, are needed. And I, when I heard of this place, I didn't believe that there was an underserved area for cancer care 15 miles south of Seattle, but in fact, here we are. Um, so the hospital is in growth mode. 
and the hospital um, uh, as last year was building a, a new freestanding um, medical arts building across the street from its main campus right downtown. And our practice, which was based in Olympia at South Sound, um, had the foresight to become engaged with the hospital three years ago to provide some rudimentary cancer services, but to have the vision to to build out and to uh, develop this new comprehensive cancer center, which which we've done. And in so doing, they the practice was looking for a seasoned. I guess I'm seasoned. Is that another word for old? Uh, yeah, uh, it's a co- it's code. Yeah, it's, it's code. code. Yes, yeah. Yes. So, so the, they were looking for a seasoned medical oncologist who knew how to build practices, knew how to forge relationships, and uh, was not afraid of the business of the medicine um, to come be the medical director of this program. So um, we have half of the space in the building. We have 23,000 square feet and one and a half floors. Um, and we have full-service medical oncology lab. We have PET-CT imaging. Um, and uh, we have built out one of two bunkers for a new Varian um, Linac uh, radiation machine. Mm. Uh, and the site is set for building a second bunker at such time as volume uh, uh, allows for that. Um, the new center, I started in the practice in November of 2009 in temporary quarters uh, next door. We moved into the new center in April and went fully operational with the addition of uh, radiation oncology on July 1st. Uh, and we're growing very nicely. So you're, it's obviously a different, a totally different environment and size is, is quite different. What, what about your experience from solo practice? How, how are those things helping you here in this environment? Well, they're helping a lot because even though I have the benefit of being in a large practice where I have an entire authorizations department for treatment, I have an entire billing department, uh, I don't have to worry about HR and staffing. I have people that do that for me. Uh-huh. Um, the buck still stops with the doctor, and it doesn't sure. matter if you're in a group of one or a group of five or a group of eight. When the doctor is seeing the patient and looking at the treatment regimen um, and and prescribing the drugs and looking at the insurance profile, it is still, I'm convinced, top-down responsibility for the physician to look at what is in the best interest for the treatment of that patient, for both the patient and, quite honestly, for the practice. So it sounds like there's probably more similarities and differences. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, your story is, uh, regrettably, is not unique. And I think we've all heard stories, uh, some of them maybe apocryphal, about uh, small practices closing left and right, or, or if not closing, consolidating or merging into larger networks. But, you know, I go back to the title of your piece about the dinosaur being extinct. And so I, I, I guess my, my my last sort of question is, what... What, is, what do we lose as a specialty when th- these kind of dinosaurs become extinct? I mean, this was a mode of practice that served you well personally, but I, it sounds like it served this community wonderfully. So is it, do, we, do we just lose the, an individual practitioner here or there, or do you think the, the whole specialty loses in some way? Without sounding self-serving, I think the specialty loses, and I think the communities lose. You know, those of us that have been in small group practices or solo practices do it because we're passionate about what we do. It's, it's, it's what we live and breathe. Um, we love our patients and we love our communities. And we're not just coming to work every day. We're engaged in our communities. We're engaged in everything that has to do with, with, with the word community. And um, so I think we diminish ourselves when we simply become employees who show up for work um, and leave when the bell rings at five. Um, it's a different. It's a different approach. It's a different attitude. It's a di- different ethic, um, <clears throat> and I think that. I think it's just kind of sad from a personal perspective, of 
from my patient's perspective, perhaps better stated, uh, that that they're they're having somebody who's coming in and doing the job, but who who isn't really having the same approach to the totality of the well-being of the patient and the family and the ramifications of that patient's illnesses in the community. Um, and I guess that's that's the, the senior in me speaking. It's probably an outmoded concept, mm-hmm. but it's one that worked for me for 28 years. And it's, it's one, by the way, that I'm not going to lose in the last X number of years of my practice in this large group. I feel the same way. And I've been in this community for a year, and I'm engaged in the mm-hmm. community, in community activity, because it's the right thing to do. It's the only way I know how to, to live, really, and work professionally. Dr. Keach, thank you very much for talking with me this evening and sharing your story. Bob, it's been a pleasure. I hope that um, people uh, get some benefit from our story and, and take this to heart and uh, continue to do the best job possible out there. Thank you. And to our listeners, uh, I again encourage you to take a look at the entire September issue of Journal of Oncology Practice for a lot of interesting articles. If you are an ASCO member, you should have already see, received your paper copy in the mail. You can also read it online at jop.ascopubs.org. That's jop.ascopubs.org. And please let us know what you think about these new JOP podcasts. Uh, you can send comments or suggestions to JOP Editor's Desk at ASCO.org. That's uh, JOP Editor's Desk at ASCO.org. This is Dr. Bob Miller for the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Thank you for your attention.